A lot of you people here know about ping pong athon the Pong already, and that's a wonderful thing. You've raised, as a community here at Robel Baptist Church, in excess of $60,000 across the last four years. That doesn't include... The yeah, absolutely. That is a mighty effort. And Sean, before I go any further, I've left my water bottle at the back. Could you kindly get it for me? Thank you. That's before the fundraising that you've done this year that's already at about $6,000, I think. One of our charity partners estimates that it costs about one and a half thousand Australian dollars to bring one person, one precious person, out of slavery into freedom. So let's take that as a given. Your $60,000 that you've raised over these years, thank you, um, that's about 40 people in Southeast Asia who are now walking in as much freedom as we enjoy. That's an amazing thing. I counted 40 chairs here at the start. That's what I was counting, Brent. That's all the chairs in the first two rows and the, the row there as well. You think all those chairs filled with young human beings who aren't being trafficked, who aren't in danger. It's an amazing thing that you've done and that you continue to do. Thank you. So at the Pong, we believe that all people, each individual, deserves to live a life that is free. We believe that each and every person is made in the wonderful image of God. We've been doing ping pong -athon. we're into our 11th year now. And if you're sitting here and you might be new to the Pong and you're thinking, the thing is, Matt, you can't end um, human trafficking and slavery by playing table tennis. On the one hand, I'd say, you're absolutely right, other than the fact that 11 years, 700 Pong events around the nation, $3 million raised, thousands and thousands of young people who are now living lives of freedom, kind of proves that playing table tennis, you can do something about slavery. It's the old um, dad or grandpa joke, right, Sean? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, because it's huge, right? You can't eat a whole elephant in one sitting. No one can do that. We can't bring an end to 45.8 million people living in modern-day slavery all in one hit. But we can bring freedom to one person after one person after one person. We saw a clip from the Freedom Story and Sean talked briefly about them. They've been with us since the start. All of our seven partners, they have to meet one of three pillars for us to be able to support them. They have to either be on about prevention Let's stop young people being trafficked in the first place. And for me, when I, when I think about the phrase um, prevention is better than cure, um, I think about the freedom story. And I've actually just come back from a few days with the freedom story in the north of Thailand, seeing their work, seeing their education program, seeing how they're preventing young people from being trafficked. It's amazing. So prevention, our second pillar is around rescue and aftercare. Oftentimes when young people are coming out of the sex industry, they need to be put back together. They need to be put back together in terms of mental health, physical health, safe housing, vocational training. We see some groups operating astonishing models, giving people um, a, a new life. It's a wonderful thing. And thirdly, we support organisations who are on about bringing systemic legal change to parts of the world that, believe you me, need systemic legal change. Parts of the world that need to see perpetrators of crime brought to justice. And we're told 
we're told there's nothing as effective in bringing legal change as when perpetrators of crime are locked up for 25 or 50 years. That does seem to act as a deterrent, rightly so. Thanks for that water, Sean. It's going to come in useful. So before we get to the verse that we're going to look at today that's from Ezekiel, I want to talk about the importance of one. So we talked about before at the Pong, and I'm presuming everybody in this room here believes that everybody is wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God, that each and every life is significant. And indeed there's several stories, parables in the New Testament where that concept of one, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep, we understand the importance of one. And we all understand the importance of one in our own life. Um, Sean, I'm sure you've got a special friend or a special grandparent or somebody who's that special one. Um, We've all got it one way or another, yeah? And we know, we know that Jesus came to live, die and be raised to life again for all of us, for all of us ones. The, the story from, I guess, modern culture that, that really emphasises the importance of one to me is, is the movie Schindler's List. Can I just have a show of hands if anybody's seen the movie Schindler's List? Okay. Can I equally have a show of hands if people have seen the movie, have read the book Schindler's Ark that preceded it? There's a few. Okay. All right. So, in a nutshell... Thomas Keneally, Australian author, in 1982, he wrote a book called Schindler's Ark. It was so good, in fact, that this book won the 1983 Booker Prize. Um, Ten years later, um, uh, it was made into a... Who made the movie? Was it Steven Spielberg? Is that right? Yeah. Steven Spielberg took, took the script and he turned it into a movie which became Schindler's List. So good was the movie that um, I think it ended up winning seven... Oscars. The story is about a German industrialist, a guy called Oskar Schindler. He was German, he was a Nazi, he was a member of the Nazi party. In very many ways, one could not really say that Oskar Schindler was um, a terrific kind of guy. He probably wasn't the kind of guy that you'd want your daughter to marry. But Oskar Schindler knew that in Nazi Germany, bad things were happening. And for some reason that nobody ever quite understood, Oscar Schindler made it his goal to save as many people as he could. I said he was an industrialist. He ran factories that initially made enamelware and then later on in the war he made munitions. His workforce was Jewish slave labour. By the time that the Second World War came to an end, there were 1,100 Jewish men and women and some children who had survived because Oskar Schindler did all he could within his powers, including some pretty, <laughs> some pretty reprehensible things, to keep these people alive. As the war ended, his Jewish workforce came to him and they presented him with a gold ring. And inscribed inside the ring was um, 
a line from the, from the Jewish um, a holy, um, lost in the word, scripture, um, the Talmud. And it says, he who saves one life saves the world entire. He who saves one life saves the world entire. The marvellous scene at the end of the movie where the remaining Schindler Jews and their offspring come over the top of the hill and they come and they lay a stone, a Jewish tradition, on, on his grave. Now, but for this guy's desire to save these 1,100 people, they'd have all gone to the gas chambers, there's no doubt about it. And then the families, the thousands and thousands and thousands of other people would never have been. That one man, in all the struggles that he had in his own life, in all the sin that he had in his own life, he did something remarkable. He understood the power of one. And one became 1,100. And 1,100 has become thousands and that number still grows today. He got the importance of one. I love that. I want to take you through a few definitions. If you're thinking, that's all good, man, about Oscar Schindler, but uh, relevance, don't worry, we'll come back to it. You'll get it. We think that Pong is a gift. We hope and think that it's a gift to the church. We think it's a missional expression of the church. If we as Christians, as people of God, can't do something about slavery... Who else is going to do it? Because I don't see a lot of other groups, groups that are not of faith, doing a lot about this stuff. Let's just run through some really quick definitions, okay? Because we use words like um, trafficked and slavery, human trafficking. We use them a lot, but let's just really think about what they mean. So a definition of trafficking is to deal or trade in something illegal. And the definition of human trafficking? A crime. A crime whereby traffickers exploit and profit at the expense of adults or children by compelling them to perform labour or engage in commercial sex. And let's look at the the six current definitions of modern day slavery. One, people can be exploited or trafficked for many purposes, including, sorry, one, forced or bonded labour. Two, commercial sexual exploitation, including online sexual exploitation. Domestic slavery, servitude. Forced marriage, child labour. When you pong this Friday and Saturday, that's what you're fighting against. It's brilliant. You should have a smile on your face. You should be pleased. You should be proud of your community. You're doing something truly significant. Could I please have that um, verse on, um, on the back, please? I'll try and stand out the way. I might stand down. Just let you have a, have a read of that. I've been thinking a bit lately about standing in the gap, what it really means. So obviously, first time you start to think of something and you want a definition, where do you go? Google. 
So my first Google explanation of standing in the gap, to expose oneself for the protection of something, to make defence against any assailing danger, to take the place of a fallen defender or supporter. I think I'm going to stand up now, Sean, if I can have my laptop. So in Ezekiel, this is from God. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them, consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. It's a little bit frightening, isn't it? Ezekiel can be something of um, a daunting book to read through. It contains many, many prophecies, oracles, um, and imagery that um, I'm certainly puzzled by it, and I know it's puzzled certainly um, um, many theologians over the centuries. The subject matter can be difficult, and the time period in which Ezekiel's ministry took place was a dangerous chapter in the nation's history. The people had just been invaded by Babylon and they had been deported into exile along with their rulers. The prophet Ezekiel was clear, quite clear, that the sins of the people were the reason for God's judgment and punishment and that intercession was not possible. And this is where he says, well, God says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall, but he couldn't find one. So what does this phrase really mean? Well, standing in the gap creates a very clear visual picture of someone stepping in, someone interceding to protect somebody else. And the most obvious application of this is a protective wall surrounding a city. If there was a breach in the wall, enemies, intruders could easily enter, attack the people, carry off the goodies that they have there. But troops, anybody, people of the city that stood in the gap would be able to protect the opening and hopefully repel and see off the invaders. And this provides that fail-safe against harm and invasion when primary defences have been breached. In the verses leading up to this, God is condemning the Israelites for their sins. In verses 23 to 29, he lists the offences they have made. They had defiled the articles of the temple and disregarded the Sabbath. Their rulers had grown wealthy at the expense of the poor and they had extorted and robbed foreigners and oppressed the needy. Also, at that time, false prophets had placated the people with very misleading messages of hope and forgiveness. And this is where God says that he looked for somebody to stand in the gap, to build the wall, to be the person to stand between the people and him. But he couldn't find it. We talked a bit before about the importance of one. And don't worry, we're going to come back to this to to complete it in a minute. But what I'd really like to do now is I'd like to build a wall, not with bricks and mortar, because that's not going to happen. But I'd like to build a human wall. So with Sean's help, can I please have... um, could I please have nine or ten people out the front? 
I think I need Brent as well. Can I have Brent, please? Thanks. <laughs> All right, so, so Brent, could you please um, grab that chair up there and just sit at the piano, okay? So, if you're thinking, yeah, this is a bit odd, well, yeah, it is. Now, Brent's our treasure, okay? Brent's our treasure within the wall. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so can the four of you please sit down here? Thanks. And can the six of you, I mean, I know we're all being COVID safe and whatnot, but if we're happy to, put our, to spread out, put your arms out, and maybe just um, touch fingers, okay? Okay. Now, this is, this is our wall, Brent, yours and mine. So I'm going to do everything that I can to protect you here, okay? I'm not sure I'm going to be able to. I'm going to try. I'm going to absolutely try. Now, if this goes wrong, okay, these are the villains here, okay, the four of them. I know it's pretty harsh, isn't it? You come to church on a Sunday morning and you get made a villain. No one needs that. You're not villains, of course, but for the exercise you are. These villains, Brent, they want to come and carry you off and take you into slavery and they're going to put you on a fishing boat in Thailand and you're not going to see, Dave, you're not going to see land for months, okay? So, you know, better hope that they go Okay. All right, what's going to happen? I want you to go and, and make, a, make a breach in the wall, okay? Yeah, so I want you to go. Now, I need somebody here. I need somebody, probably at the front, who, when they try and make the breach in the wall, is going to say, no, you're not doing that, and you're going to stand in the gap. So let's just make this a very visual exercise. So I'm looking for a volunteer. Yes, gentleman there, guitar player. <laughs> so as he goes, right, go, go and try and make your breach in the wall. Oh, there's trouble. Brent is going down. <laughs> He's going down. No. Fantastic. The wall is secure. Have a go. I'm looking for somebody else. It doesn't matter who it is, but do not let Brent... Do not let Brent go. Yes, Brent, they're coming from everywhere, man. This is a strong wall. Another, another invader, please. They're going through. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, it's a strong wall, Brent. Last one. Let's go. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Can my, can my invaders sit down, please, but not my wall? Brent, what a, what a wall. What a, what a community. These guys love you. It was, it was fishing boat or bus, you know. They've, they've done it. Thank you very much for the wall. Thank you, everybody, for helping Brent out there. Anyway, I hope that's a little memorable and... We'll see. <laughs> so the, the example, the notion of a human being interceding, stepping into the gap on behalf of the people, that's not uncommon in the Bible. There are so many examples, notable examples, um, where a righteous person stood in the gap before God. When God determined initially to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin, he let Abraham in on his plans. And Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy the entire city if only a handful of righteous people could be found and then were prepared to intercede on behalf of the people. 
He initially asked God to spare the cities if 50 good people could be found and continued to bargain with God until the final stipulation was that merely 10 people had to be found. I've got to make a confession here at this point. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the MCG last night and largely 90,000 Collingwood fans and I wondered if there could be some parallel between you know, Abraham looking for 50 good people and... I'll, I'll let you think the rest through yourselves. I think I'm probably close to the mark though. God lovingly listened to Abraham's request and he promised him that he would spare the city if those righteous people could be found. Although, of course, the cities were ultimately destroyed. God listened to Abraham coming before him representing the people of the city. And when the Hebrews made their golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Moses came down from the mountain and condemned them for their unfaithfulness. And when he returned to the top of the mountain, back to God, God said to Moses that he was ready to wipe out the entire Hebrew people and wanted to restart their nation with Moses as their father. But Moses interceded on behalf of the Israelites, pleaded with God not to wipe them out. God, of course, listened to Moses and did not follow through on his plans. And then we look at David. David sinned by taking a prideful census and God sent an angel of death across the countryside to punish the people. But when the angel was just outside of Jerusalem, he stopped. We know that David purchased the threshing room floor that was there. He built an altar there and offered sacrifices as a way to beg for God's mercy and forgiveness so that the people would be spared. And God accepted David's offering and the angel left them. David's intercession, he was standing in the gap for the people. David commemorated that moment by dedicating that very site to the construction of the temple of God that ultimately his son Solomon built. And then of course we come to the gap of atonement the most important example of standing in the gap. And of course it comes in the, in the life of, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. His very purpose of being born human was to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the entire human race. This was the ultimate act of standing in the gap before God's judgement. Asked in left us, leaves us vulnerable to divine punishment. But Jesus willingly offered his life as the only acceptable payment for that sin. He stood in the gap by hanging on a cross and dying for us. The Gospel story is of course wonderful. While we were and are caught in our sinful human nature, when our defences have been obliterated and divine justice was and is sure to sweep us away, when we were slaves to sin, and indeed, John's Gospel, Jesus himself says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The blood of Jesus stands in the gap to protect and restore us to God. His sacrifice continually offers the only pathway to restoration before God. 
And it's wonderful in Scripture that we're told that Jesus himself stands before the throne of the Father, advocating on our behalf, vouching for all believers. Something I've been thinking about a bit lately that I'll, I'll run past you and see what you think. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel that as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Up until recently, every time I've read that, I've always thought that Jesus was talking directly about the people who had stripped him and beat him and whipped him and nailed him to the cross. And I've always thought, yeah, it's those people kind of directly in his line of vision that he's saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Just in recent times, I've actually started to wonder. Sure, it was about the people who were standing in front of him and in his direct line of vision. But was it more than that? Was it bigger than that? Was Jesus actually asking Father to forgive all of mankind, all of us at the moment? As is quite evident um, by me standing up here this morning, I am no biblical scholar, so I don't have a full answer to that. But I kind of fancy that it is. So how do we stand in the gap for others? I think in order to really stand in the gap before God on behalf of others, we must first accept in our own lives Jesus' sacrifice as the atonement for our own lives. Recognising that we are powerless to stem the judgement and acknowledging that we need a greater saviour than we could ever be for ourselves. I certainly know that's true in my own life and I see a few nods around the place so I think I'm on track there. And then there's what we do as a Pong community as we try and stand in the gap for young people who aren't necessarily able to stand for themselves. So I finish with a few things to encourage you with. I encourage you to pray for our Pong partners, seven of them. Um, I know they're all um, highlighted up there on the, on the window at the back and I believe Brent's going to be sending out some emails throughout the week talking about each of our partners. And at this point I'd encourage you to, to understand that the relationships that David and myself from Pong have with our partners is very deep. This isn't a case of you Pong this weekend, you raise a few thousand dollars, you give it to, give it to Pong, Pong sends it over to the partners and you kind of just hope that it's going to be well used. No, this money is well used. We know our partners, we know who they are we understand their reasons for being, we understand their finances, we understand who they are as individuals. These are deep relationships. So I'd encourage you to pray for our partners and the work that they do because it's very special. I encourage you to keep asking God to do his thing in the area of slavery and bringing it to, to, to an end. This is the fifth year running that 
you'll be ponging. That's an amazing thing. Year in, year out, you guys here at Roeville, you keep picking up your very simple ping pong paddle and you use that as your weapon of choice to fight slavery. As we talked about at the beginning, it shouldn't possibly work. Somehow it does. And let's just enjoy that. Remembering, remembering that we can't eat an elephant all in one go because it's just too big. We can't bring 45 million people out of slavery in one hit. But we can do it bit by bit by bit. One soul at a time. And I guess finally, let us decide individually and collectively to be people of the gap. Thanks so much for having me here this morning. It's been an absolute privilege to be here. I'm very much looking forward to your upcoming event and I hope that I might be able to join you on Saturday morning. We'll see how we go. But God bless you.